welcome to Body Signals, the Signos podcast. I'm your host, Bill Tanser, Chief Data Scientist at Signos. This is Season 1, Episode 14, Playing with Your Food and How to Conduct Glucose Experiments, a conversation with Signos Chief Marketing Officer, Hannah Russin. On this episode, we'll address the power of using the scientific method to find your most efficient path towards weight loss. Today, Hannah and I will discuss her six basic glucose food experiments, eating slower, having apple cider vinegar before meals, food swaps, food combinations, exercise, and time of day. Now on to today's show. All right, welcome to Body Signals. We're so excited to have Hannah Russin, the Chief Marketing Officer of Signos, joining us again today. Hannah, how are you? I'm doing well, Bill. Excited to be back. Your episodes on resistant starch and defining your own food journey were two of our most popular episodes. So it's obvious that people love hearing from you. And we wanted to talk today about experiments. Awesome. I mean, I assume that people like hearing our episodes because I am a food enabler. I just want to eat all the things and uh, also, you know, maintain a healthy weight. So uh, whatever way we can make that happen, Bill. Yeah, you know, we thought of you for this episode because the last two episodes you were on were about experiments. The resistant starch episode actually started with an experiment testing out white rice and, and potatoes. And then choosing your own food journey was also, you know, somewhat about, you know, finding things that work for you through experimenting. So wanted to start off with a question for you, which is just maybe tell us a little bit about the experiments that you've conducted using Cygnos. Yeah, um, so... Really, whenever I'm quote unquote conducting an experiment, which I do like, I like as a lens to sort of view this, but I'm just trying to figure out how I can not spike or how I can eat a food that I want to eat and not have it spike me. So, um, you know, it's my real dedication to a breakfast that I like or to an ice cream that I want to have or to, um, a latte, you know, and is it, is it that I can, uh, steam milk this way or, or reduce the quantity, but still get the froth. Like, um, and so many things spike me. Uh, my, my team nickname of course is spiketastic. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just trying to find a way to continue to eat all the, all the delicious bits. Excellent. Um, I've got to remember to put the spiketastic in quotes spiketastic. in between yeah. your, your first and last name. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I you know I got interested in using Cygnos for experiments. It, it was really serendipitous. Right after I'd started at Cygnos, I saw a TED talk with Judson Brewer. He's a psychiatrist and uh, head of the Center for Mindfulness, I believe. And he gave a talk about uh, simple ways to make, break bad habits. And one of his suggestions was just to get curious about your food. And his talk was about breaking all sorts of addictions, be it food addictions or smoking or alcoholism. But he made this really interesting point that if you just start asking yourself, well, I wonder how this makes me feel, or I wonder how uh, what I either eat or drink or smoke makes me feel. 
what I thought was so cool about that is two things. First is that we've got this platform that's perfect for answering the question, not just how it makes me feel, but, but quantifying it in a way in terms of how does that thing I just eat, uh, have eaten, have ate, how does that thing that I just ate affect my blood sugar? I think it does something else. And we were talking about this yesterday is that it breaks a cycle that I think a lot of us have had with overeating. And that is being really kind of critical of ourselves. Yeah. So pre, if I talk pre-signos, PS, pre-signos, I remember having like a big piece of chocolate cake and I would get mad at myself. Why did I eat that massive piece of chocolate cake? If you start getting curious about what you eat and how it affects your body, maybe you start shifting from that question of why did I do that to I wonder how that makes me feel or I wonder how that affects my body. And that very subtle shift from why did I do that to how does this make me feel or how can I quantify the effect of that on my body really does cause a primary shift in the way we think. What's so interesting also, um, one, uh, I, I think when you were, uh, introducing the topic of the last, um, thing that you'd listened to, I could have sworn that you said, um, bake bad habits. And I couldn't help but thinking during the pandemic that actually, um, everyone was baking bad habits. And my, my sister who I love dearly, she, she next leveled, um, you know, her sourdoughs had, uh, epic designs on the top and the amount of bread that I consumed. And I don't, I don't actually buy bread. I will eat it when I'm at a restaurant. That is my like treat to myself. But if I eat a lot of bread, I actually don't, I don't feel good. Um, and also there's no off switch. I think we've talked about this before when I'm eating a great amount of something that maybe I, I shouldn't, um, I don't feel bad immediately. I feel bad maybe later, but with bread, I end up feeling super bloated and I just love it so much. And so when somebody bakes you something as a gift, it's a double whammy because you want to celebrate the gift that they have given you and you want to eat the thing that they have provided that is so tasty. But, um, you know, you're trying to balance that out with, will I actually feel good, you know, and, and all of the family guilt, like, what if I don't eat this thing? So, um, Needless to say, uh, we, we had to have a frank talk about my ability to eat the delicious gifts that I was being given. And, um, uh, if she could perhaps gift them to someone else, because I have no, no self-control when it comes to fresh baked bread. Um, but you know, thinking about it further, like we're, we're always taught to sort of feel, feel things about food. This is good food. This is bad food. And, What's been so interesting with doing these food experiments is there's a lot of foods that I thought were pretty good for me or were just good ingredients that I was adding to food, but the way that I was eating it um, or preparing it or the quantity that I was consuming uh, ended up spiking my glucose quite a bit, and I was just completely unaware of it. Like chickpeas is a good example. Um, you know, I go through phases where I try and eat less meat and I substitute in beans or chickpeas, and chickpeas spike me like crazy. And there's about 16 recipes that I love to make with chickpeas, but maybe that's just not, not a great option for me, or I have to be super cognizant of my portions when I'm eating them, which <clears throat> I'm not going to lie is less fun overall. I don't know if you have a problem with portion control, but of I definitely course I do. 
Yeah. Of course, we all do. But I got to tell you, I have less of a problem with it since I've become curious about how my portions affect my glucose. There's been this psychic shift in how I eat where I'm thinking more about the spike. It's almost like a, a pleasure pain thing. I used to get pleasure from all the food. Uh, now I get more pleasure from not seeing a spike after I eat. And that kind of has caused this difference in how I eat. But when you before say we go, shift, I, I'm thinking like you're you're reading my mind. You mean psychological? <laughs> well, I, well, my own psyche. There we I go. Say okay. shift. I hope I use that word right. Psychic shift. <laughs> well, look, note to self: look that up. <laughs> yes. You mentioned a couple of things that I want to touch on really quickly. Um, the first one is you mentioned sourdough bread, and you just gave me a great idea for an experiment. I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but I don't spike on sourdough bread. Yes. And I did a little research, and there are people who do not spike on sourdough bread. Something about that reaction with the um, the sourdough starter and the rest of the ingredients in the bread, um, because of differences in our microbiome, for, for some individuals they're not going to spike. So what a great thing. It sounds like you might've already kind of backed yourself into that experiment, just in, in <laughs> eating the gifts that your sister's sending. So well, uh, I, I did try a few things that helped. Like I swapped out peanut butter, which is a deep love of mine for um, a nut butter, like a cashew butter and almond butter that's unsweetened. And while not totally as satisfying, sometimes I can top it with cinnamon and then I'll close my eyes and pretend it's peanut butter. Um, and depending on the brand, it's it's tasty. Or I could do a cream cheese with like a black pepper and a salt topping or an avocado toast instead of doing like a jam or a, or a you know, butter and maple syrup. Um, and those things certainly um, brought down the spike. I still went, you know, well above, um, you know, my, my personal goal of, of staying under, uh, 125 milligrams per deciliter. My, my general average now is about 80 to 90. So that's still a significant spike, but at least it's not like 185, which is, you know, I, I smell sugar and it just, so I'm just seeing, you know, how it would work. But I, I did find some toppings that I thought, were still quite tasty and still gave me the essence of bread. And maybe I was eating half a slice and trying to eat it slower. Um, you know, have the experience go over a longer period of time and really savor each bite rather than just inhaling my food. Um, I, and I can tell by the way you're talking, you experience the same shift. <laughs> uh, you're thinking about food differently. And I wanted to mention one other thing, which segues, segues nicely into this next topic. And that is you mentioned chickpeas and Maybe this is something that relates to your new middle name of Spiketastic, but chickpeas don't spike me at all, and yet they spike yeah. you. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I hate to keep throwing these things in your face. Yeah, but yeah Bill, they, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Um, what I think is fascinating about that is that using Cygnos, using a CGM, to help figure out what it is you should eat as a whole new approach mm -hmm. to trying to lose weight. I'm not going to say the D word. I'm not going to tie it. I'm not going to use that word because this approach is so different in that we're not giving you this long list of foods you can and can't eat. We're not saying, you know, you've got to go keto and eliminate all of your carbs. We're not saying you need to be paleo or carnivore or vegan. 
we're saying bring whatever uh, eating lifestyle is most comfortable to you to the table. And then let's figure out what the best things are for you to eat to make permanent lifelong changes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's very cool about, um, about this whole new approach, but it has to start somewhere. And your approach, you mentioned this earlier, is kind of the opposite of mine, but I think it's a, a process that everyone will have to go through when they start with Cygnos, which is starting the experiments of looking at, okay, this is how I was eating, looking at my glucose graph, and then identifying specific spikes and then working backwards from there. Mm-hmm. So maybe give us some examples as you started on Cygnos. What did you see in those first graphs and how did you make changes? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is, you know, people often ask for a meal plan and while I think a meal plan is helpful, um, it, it is very confining and asks you to make a lot of dramatic changes very quickly. I think with Cygnos, you don't start out with a meal plan. And so instead what you're doing is it's like, eat what you would normally do and just observe. And I'm like, all right, cool. Um, I would say, you know, one of the things that I found out of course was I was spiking a lot. I was having, um, like a high fiber raisin bran. Um, and I would actually pick out half the raisins, um, one, cause I have mixed feelings about raisins and two, because they're full of sugar, which I knew. Um, and I was still spiking. And then, um, I also, uh, heard about Bill's oatmeal experience. And so I really wanted to also try oatmeal, Um, and then I went through a vegetarian phase for a short while. So I was trying a lot of beans and chickpeas, which were very spiky. Um, and I think when I started, it was in January and it was cold and I like to eat a lot of hot things. And a lot of the hot things that I like to make, um, I temper acidity with sugar. So I was just sneaking, you know, a little brown sugar into this sauce or a little, um, extra sugar into this cookie, the cookie phase also bill went on really too long, the holiday cookies. So, um, I would say just to be totally transparent, I didn't lose weight super fast because I was really just trying foods, seeing what happened, trying them the next day, taking out an ingredient, trying them the day after that, eating them slower, trying them a day after that, trying apple cider before I ate it. You know, there's like, a list in my head of like five or six tactics that you had given me that I was like, Oh, I could try this to eat this food six ways, but that takes six days. And I'm still spiking five or all six of those days. And so, um, you know, it takes a lot of, uh, stick-to-itiveness or grit to like, be like, I'm going to figure out the solution here or, okay, I'm only going to eat this food when I know I can go for a walk afterward. Like I'm going to eat it and plan, to enjoy it and also plan to go do some exercise. Um, and those are a whole bunch of options and a whole different way of sort of both planning my day and thinking about my food and, and my grocery shopping, um, you know, like dried mango snacks, man, did I really eat a lot of dried mango snacks and they are just like blood sugar kryptonite. I mean, they just spike your blood sugar. Just yeah, those are a few of them. That's like sugar jerky, essentially. Oh, that's so is what good, you got. though. <laughs> it's so, no wonder, because it's all sugar. They know you mentioned something. You said something. I'm so glad you said this, that you weren't losing weight super fast. 
And I don't think that's a bad thing. I know we've been conditioned as a society to follow these, I'm going to use the word, diets, where you can lose 10 pounds in 10 days, all these crazy diets. And people measure success that way. We measure success by losing the weight and keeping it off. And as our advisor, Dr. Sunil Koliwad, had mentioned on the podcast uh, where we had him as a guest, in his research, people who lose weight slowly tend to be the individuals that keep that weight off. It's the ones that lose the weight super fast that yo-yo and go right back up and usually surpass their pre-diet weight. So I think that's actually a great thing that you're losing weight slowly. I mean, the way that I've done it before has been through a very restrictive, super calorie restricted diet, you know, like a thousand calories a day, which one very hard to do and to keep up for any length of time. And then, you know, you've lost a bunch of weight and then you're like, okay, I'm going to start adding foods back in. And then you don't pay attention and suddenly the weight has come back. Uh, or at least that's how it feels to me. Um, so, you know, it was frustrating that it wasn't happening, but again, I was like, I'm not, I'm not really restricting myself a whole lot here. And I am taking time to kind of find a path and a new, you know, what's my new breakfast routine going to look like? What's my new snack routine? Um, and sort of work those things into both my heart and my pantry um, in equal measure. So it's not um, it's not for, for everyone. You know, some people do just want really fast results. And, and this might not really be the way for them. But I think what we've seen and, and what I see in our community is people saying, you know, slow and steady, I get to plateaus, I make more changes, I unlock another, like, you know, several pounds of weight loss, or I unlock another, um, way that I want to feel like a lot of people talk about sort of maintaining energy throughout the day. And that, that actually has been a really big focus for me with my diet because I get big energy spikes and big energy crashes. And so how do I eat to avoid that? Or how do I eat with that in mind and make sure that when I'm super hungry, I'm not going to like ante up on something that's going to put me into a small food coma shortly thereafter. Um, so I can still sort of stay on all my, my daily tasks. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize the power of that, but I experienced that as well, that, uh, we all think about weight loss, but I hadn't thought of how, when I started to, uh, stabilize my glucose throughout the day, I also felt like I had so much more energy because I was going up and down before because I was ingesting so much sugar or a lot of carbs at certain times of the day. And when you start to look at your glucose and associate your energy levels with what's happening, again, it's that being curious about what's happening in your body. You really start to understand, oh, of course I should have known that. Of course I should. (laughs) I'm the data scientist. I, I should have known that, but I didn't because... Here's the other thing. I was just going through the day eating mindlessly. But now I there's a little bit of attention I pay to everything that I'm eating. But I believe in a healthy way. Like, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. can I eat that's going to provide me the nutrition I need that I'm going to enjoy that will also give me that stability in, uh, in my blood glucose that's going to give me more energy and make me feel better. And I think that's that's great. So one of the things that I wanted to kind of run through on this episode is, you know, I think that in, uh, of, of the topics we've talked about, there are six ways that I could experiment with the same food, um, 
to try not to spike. So I'd love to kind of run them by you and you can tell me why you think each one of those might work. Oh, absolutely. I love this. I love lists. Number one. <laughs> um, so uh, one would be, um, let's say I want to eat. Okay. So Girl Scout cookies come up every year and I really love the peanut butter chocolate ones. Um, and so <clears throat> let's just say I want to eat a cookie, right? So okay. I'm, I'm too thin things- mint by the way, but. Oh, you're a thin okay. mint. Oh, yeah, we yeah. can still hang out, but like. I would I do an entire sleeve them. of thin mints before yeah. I started using Cygnus in one sitting. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. But anyway, it's, I'm sorry. I digress. The, it's the mindless cookie munching. Um, so, uh, all right. Thing one <laughs> would be, uh, eat it slower. Why would that work to kind of decrease my glucose spike? If I'm eating the same cookie in five minutes or I'm eating the same cookie over 20 minutes or 30. It, so th- there's a concept of area under the curve, which would not change. Your glucose is still going to rise, but it's going to rise more gradually. And if it rises more gradually, there is an opportunity for your body to use that circulating glucose, especially if you introduce some movement into Mm -hmm. the equation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's one reason. Another reason, which is sort of separate from from glucose, is just satiety. That if you eat slower, you tend to get fuller faster. So unlike myself, pre-signos, you want to go through that entire sleeve of cookies if you eat them slowly. It also allows you time to think about what you're doing. And you think, well, maybe I should stop after cookie three or four if you're eating them slowly. I would say the third reason why it would work is I think you're also being mindful when you're eating Mm -hmm. slower. You're paying attention to what you're eating. It's okay to have that piece of cake at a birthday party. It's okay to have one of those cookies when Girl Scout cookie season is, is on. Enjoy, but just... Do so intentionally. Mm-hmm. If you set the mm-hmm. intention, I, I'm going to do this because it's my birthday or it's my sister's birthday. I'm going to have that piece of cake. That's okay. Um, but just do it with intention. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you can cut yourself from, from uh, if you can eliminate the mindless eating, just that part, I think you're going to make great strides. So, yes, I think eating slower is definitely um, a smart way to go. Okay, so thing one, eat slower. Thing two, which we have tried and works for some, but not necessarily for all, would be apple cider vinegar. If I eat apple cider vinegar um, in a glass of cold water, you know, 10, 15 minutes before I eat the cookie, what's going on there? Yes, we don't actually know the complete mechanism for why this works, but there have been some clinical studies that have shown that taking some apple cider vinegar before you eat carby food does blunt a uh, a blood sugar spike. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is an area where I definitely encourage people to experiment. And the experiment's very simple. So if you enjoy something on a regular basis and you're using Cygnos, you're going to have a graph of what happens when you eat that food. All you have to do to conduct the experiment is in the next instance you eat that food, try that. Have the apple cider vinegar um, before you have the Girl Scout cookie and see if it, um, it blunts your, your, your blood sugar. You'll be happy to know that apple cider vinegar did not work for me whatsoever. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, it's worked for so many of the people that went through that apple cider vinegar test that we did internally amongst Mm -hmm. our staff. Again, 
not everything works for everyone. And this is why we encourage all of our members to do experiments is because it's about that journey of finding what works for you. Um, I, uh, Apple cider vinegar is also, you know, a, a, a wonderful ingredient for its own purposes. I can't stand it. Really? Yeah. Oh. And I even tried it as a salad dressing because I couldn't do the water and add oh, the well, yeah, that's, it is, I couldn't do that. Yeah, it's kind so of, I, I just, I put it on some dark greens and then I tried to cover it up with something else. I just, <laughs> I mean, um, I just have to be honest. I, I don't like it, but yet. Uh, I'm not ignorant of the fact that there's some research out there showing that it helps. And some people don't mind it at all and actually enjoy it. So Ooh. it's up to your personal preference. Okay. So thing one, um, eat slower. Thing two, try apple cider vinegar before eating your uh, selected carb or sugar. And can I just add there is oh, yeah. that if the apple cider vinegar, like you, if you're like me, um, you can try other acids because they have been shown to work. So red Any wine vinegar. vinegar. Any vinegar. I mean, careful with bals- uh, yeah, anything acidic. Be careful with balsamic vinegar because some of them do have added sugars. Sweet. But yeah, try try some other vinegars. So you're telling mm. me balsamic glaze, maybe not the best. <laughs> yeah. so Reduced balsamic glaze. I love that stuff. God, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, it's like the sorry. crack of my salad dressings. Number um, three. So, okay. What about um, food swaps? So, all right. This one is sort of like a cheat-ish, which is um, there are some, quote, keto cookies or um, other options where I've taken, um, you know, the same kind of peanut butter and chocolate situation, but um, I'm getting it from a, a brand. So I'm still getting the, the taste of my original Girl Scout cookie, but not actually eating that Girl Scout cookie. So it's, you know... In my head, I sort of think of it, it's like a, a figment of, of my imagination that I'm eating the Girl Scout cookie. So a food swap um, can work really well if you get that same sense of satisfaction as you would from eating that Girl Scout cookie. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you said that. I was going to mention that in your first point with the Girl Scout cookie is that uh, I was going to ask you the question, what is it that you enjoy about that yeah. particular cookie? And you'd probably say, well, it's the chocolate and the peanut butter mixed together. I would tell you, get some dark chocolate, just dip it in some peanut butter or almond butter and see how you do on that. Measure how your glucose responds to that versus the cookie. And you might be surprised that you can enjoy some of the same flavors that you you really enjoyed about that Girl Scout cookie in a, a way that doesn't spike your glucose. Okay. So thing one, I'm, and I'm going to be challenged to remember them in the order that I've recited them every time, right? This so is a memory thing test. One, too. Slower, thing two, apple cider vinegar. Thing three, uh, food swaps. Thing four um, is meal combinations. So this one is definitely hands down my favorite because um, basically anytime that I really want to eat a dessert object, I will pair it with steak or a pork chop or a steak and a pork chop. No, not together. No, I will pair it with a a relatively um, fatty meat and I will try and be a little cognizant of, of, you know, how much of that I'm eating, but then having my carb after a fat and a protein has really blunted the spike for me um, and sort of given me license also to use like a teriyaki sauce, which does have sugar on my meat. And I love that teriyaki flavor, but I, I'm not spiking as much as I would if I put it on, say, a leaner meat like a chicken. At least for me, that's worked. Um, yes. 
Talk to me a little bit fat. about why. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fat is blunting your, your spike. I think a little bit has to do with the um, oxidative priority, which is the order in which your body metabolizes food will sometime lessen the, the spike. I would probably issue just a small caveat here, which is pay attention to the overall calories you're consuming. Mm. I mean, everything's important, the food that you're eating, but also the amount that you're eating, the calories you're eating. So if you're eating really fatty food, those calories can add up and that could lead to either no weight loss or even some weight gain. Mm. But yes, it's this combination of food that uh, I think is, is one of the gems of using CGMs to um, to lose weight. For me, I, I was hoping to get through one podcast where I didn't mention oatmeal, <laughs> but I'm going to mention it this time. And that 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 is my primary um, experiment meal. I eat it first thing in the morning. We'll get into that in a second. But I've done all sorts of food combinations in that oatmeal to get that um, glucose spike lower and lower and lower. And for me, adding the almond butter uh, and more of it was actually uh, something that was was very beneficial in terms of lowering my glucose because I was adding that additional fat and protein, and it really seemed to help. Again, it's different for everyone, probably okay. dependent on your bi- microbiome, and we're all different in terms of our microbiome composition. So test these things out. That's what we're talking about. So that, that's a little bit about food combination, why it works. It's probably oxidative priority, and it also is probably a little bit of microbiome in your own individual nature. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So my fifth thing is exercise it off. So eat that cookie, but go for a 15 minute walk, or in my case, do about a minute of jump squats, which are relatively intense. And you only want to do that after one cookie. If you eat more than the one cookie, you might be in trouble. Um, but, uh, you know, you can kind of work it off. You definitely can. We did actually did an experiment on this, the OJ challenge, where we all drank uh, an eight ounce glass of orange juice, which actually is a lot of orange juice when you drink it all at once. And we all saw our glucose spike. And then the next day we drank the same amount of orange juice and everyone exercised just to see that we could blunt this spike. And it does work. Introducing movement into your day, especially after meals, is really beneficial in terms of blunting a glucose spike. There's another caveat here. And if Dr. William Dixon was on the show, he would say, Hannah, be careful, though, of looking at food and exercise as reward and and Mm. punishment. So be very careful of like rationalizing in your mind. Hey, I just worked out really hard. So now I'm going to have extra cookies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or I'm planning on having extra cookies. So I'm going to work out really hard. You don't want to make that association because if you do, you're probably going to undermine what we're really trying to do here, which is find a path towards the the healthiest you. And that is really enjoy the benefits of exercise and enjoy food and don't link the two in a reward uh, punishment link because that is, is something we want to avoid. Okay. So I'm having trouble remembering the sixth one, but let me go through and I'm sure you'll help me spot it. So the first was eat slower. Second was apple cider vinegar. Third was, um, uh, ingredient swap. Uh, fourth was food order, um, or meal combination 
Fifth was work it off. And I want to say that there's like even one more. Oh, there's several more. I'll, I'll just throw yeah, one throw out. Them out there. Uh, one of my favorites, and I've done an experiment experiment on this, is time of day. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, time of day. I could make, here I go with the oatmeal again. I really need to, <laughs> I need to diversify my toast, breakfast. Toast, But <laughs> to test this out, because I have several hundred uh, recorded glucose graphs of eating oatmeal, this exact course, same oatmeal, in the morning first thing. One day I decided to introduce the, this experiment to our staff where I said, take a breakfast item and eat it later in the day. And I ate that same bowl of oatmeal at three in the afternoon. So at 7 a.m., that bowl of oatmeal, no spike at all. I mean, my, my glucose is just, it's like a straight horizontal line. When I had the... Hmm? <laughs> Show off. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> glucose envy. So... That same bowl of oatmeal, same portion size, same ingredients, I spiked 130 from like 80 later in the day. (laughs) And, you know, I think there's a number of factors at play there. uh, There is some interplay between circadian rhythm and how our body uh, metabolizes carbs. I think that's at play. There's also the fact that you've been eating throughout the day, so your glycogen stores are probably full, where in the morning they're a little depleted because... If you don't eat in the middle of the night, your body is is using glycogen from the liver and a little bit from the muscles. It needs to be replaced. So when you have something first thing in the morning, uh, you don't see as much of a spike because it it will tend a lot of it will tend to be converted into glycogen for your liver. So I think those things together um, are why we might see different responses. What do you do with that? Maybe think if you really do want to have something carby, consider consuming it earlier in the day versus later. An experiment, experiment, experiment. Yeah. It's funny. um, Before doing Cygnos, uh, sometimes at dinner time, I I would um, eat dessert first, which it turns out is actually the worst thing I could have been doing late in the day ahead of anything that would blunt a spike. um, And it would send my glucose sky high. Um, So uh, now, sometimes if I have a leftover dessert, I might eat that more for breakfast. Um, yeah, if you really, if you want to, if I'm not, I was going to say reward, and that's the wrong thing to say. If you really feel like having that dessert, if I'm going to have it sometime during the day, the, the morning is best. You just uh, made me think of something else I wanted to mention, and that is when you do have dessert, if you're going to have it, I have discovered that a good practice is to eat it right after you're finished eating, not to wait like 30, 40 minutes, an hour, and then Mm. have dessert. What you end up doing sometimes is you might spike from your meal, come all the way down and spike again when you Uh, have the dessert. Might as well have that dessert as part of that meal so you have one spike that will then allows your glucose to come down and settle for the evening. Yes, you don't get that that ping pong effect. Yes, exactly. These are great points. I'm glad that you brought up these five and I was able to add a six. (laughs) Six. I knew there were six. Yeah. Maybe we should talk, let's talk a little bit just about experiments and how to run them. Um, Pitfalls. Pitfalls, but let's just go through the process. So the first thing um, I remember from fourth grade science class, my teacher was Mrs. Gaines. I don't know why I remember this, but she was the one that introduced the idea of the scientific method into my brain and told me about, you know, hypothesis, test the hypothesis, 
Um, and then from that, you, you've, you really start to engage in, in the scientific process. So when you're going to do an experiment, just start with what you're trying to experiment. So come up with what your hypothesis is. For you, let's take the apple cider vinegar. The hypothesis is if I ingest this 10 minutes before I eat, I will blunt a uh, blood sugar spike. So now we know what we're testing. So the next step, once you know what you're going to test, is you want to control as many variables as possible. You want to eliminate any confounding factors. So this is why I tell uh, everyone who's interested in running experiments, one of the best times of day to do that is first thing in the morning. Because you've eaten less throughout the day, there's not other things that might interfere. We know things like stress can cause uh, a confounding factor in, in your glucose. If you do something first thing in the day and you're, you're not stressed, you've had a good night's sleep, that's how you want to control for variables. Now, some people have said, hey, I'm in, uh, on an intermittent fasting diet or I'm, I'm doing time-restricted eating. Mm-hmm. Then just you know, do that experiment as soon as your window opens. Mm-hmm. So it's okay if it's not first thing in the morning in that instance. A couple of caveats there. Sleep is so important. So if you get a result and you had a bad night's sleep the night before, you again. might want to think about doing the experiment again once you've had a good night's sleep. Because... Uh, Using the oatmeal example again, I've had that bowl of oatmeal after having a horrible night of sleep. And even though I was able to get that that uh, horizontal line when I've had a poor night of sleep, I will spike from that meal, mm-hmm. uh, which tells us just how important sleep is. So then you design the experiment. Uh, apple cider vinegar, it's very simple. What I would do is I would pick a food that I know spikes me. So maybe it's just some regular toast. Or oh, let's pick a something banana. better. Or let's pick the Girl Scout cookies. Let's just go whole hog, okay? A couple <laughs> of those Girl Scout cookies. Take two or three of them. I'll eat it first thing in the morning and record my glucose spike. I'll wait until that spike happens and comes all the way back down before I eat anything else. I also will refrain from doing any exercise mm-hmm. during that time period because as we discussed... Unless you're testing exercise. Unless I am. Which leads to another point, which is test one thing at a time. (laughs) But yeah, so the experiment design is I'm going to do this. First, I'm going to take the food that spikes me. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to wait for the spike to happen, record it, and try to refrain from anything that might affect my glucose in that time. And then the next day, uh, do the that's the control the first day. The second day, do the apple cider vinegar, wait the 10 minutes, eat the same cookie. And just as before, let that spike happen. Uh, If it does, hopefully it's a blunted spike and uh, same period of time. You could end the experiment and then do some exercise if you want to and compare the two. If you have a finding that seems significant, I always encourage people to repeat at least once at a further point. Because sometimes we don't realize some of the confounding factors that have snuck into our day. Mm -hmm. We may have thought we got a good night's sleep, but we didn't. We may have thought that we weren't stressed, but we were. So if you repeat this a few times, you can uh, just build more confidence that you found something that really works for you. So that, in a nutshell, is how we do experiments on our team. Um, that's super, super helpful. And, you know, it, it definitely speaks to, to my experience of, gosh, I think I ate, ate Raisin Bran about five or six different ways. I think I ate oatmeal for about two weeks. So many variants there. Um, and you know, it gave me a healthy respect of checking my packaging 
so many things that were low carb or keto friendly, uh, spiked me regardless. And so, um, you know, it's always good to sort of, um, trust, but verify. And Cygnus kind of gives you a way to do that, which I, I found super helpful. And, you know, I, I have lost much less weight than, um, some of our members, but I, I think I found a good groove that I'm in now and, um, slow and steady for the win, as you said. So I'm getting close to my goal weight. I'm not there yet, but it's, it's within sniffing distance. Excellent. And slow and steady wins the race. Yeah, exactly. So just to, uh, to summarize and conclude, we, we've gone through a lot here in terms of the experiments we've conducted, just why they're important, how to do them. We just published a blog post, and I'll link to that blog post on how to conduct experiments using Cygnos. So if you want to see this all spelled out, that's there for you. And I want to encourage everyone to experiment as much as possible. In fact, we have an experiment running right now, which is about um, the way you cook your food and how it can affect your glucose response or your glycemic response. And we're looking at boiled versus roasted potatoes, uh, sweet potatoes. And uh, we'll report back. We'll probably do a post on that uh, in the future that you can find on our blog. So such exciting stuff. I'm, I'm so, um, so thrilled you could join me for this episode because <laughs> I think this is one of the most important things in terms of, of finding success using a CGM for weight loss is that willingness to go out and experiment and build that healthy relationship with food. We're, uh, we're building a methodology to play with your food. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Hannah, well, until next time. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. We we always love having you. <laughs> Happy to be here. All right, back to the back to the eating. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today on Body Signals. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Cygnos Health. And if you're interested in becoming a Cygnos member, go to Cygnos.com on the web to request early access. Until next time.